Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. Evening, everybody, and welcome to Nightlight. I want to thank Kent Quiethawk for that amazing intro. I always, uh, listening to his voice always gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is just amazing. I have a great show for you tonight. I'm really very excited about it. I have two amazing guests. I have Marta Thomas, and um, one of the speakers for her conference uh, is with us as well, John Shaughnessy. Um, Marta is the founder and organizer of the Global Pyramid Conferences, the second of which is being held in Skokie, Illinois, on September 20th through the 23rd. This conference is a collection of magical people from all over the world who have focused on the many different aspects and attributes of the pyramids, using all of their different modalities to delve into the depths of the unknown to bring light to these amazing structures that hold mysteries from the past to enlighten the present and evolve us into the future that beckons ever forward to us. As I said, she brings with her tonight one of her speakers, John Shaughnessy, who is a retired utility engineer electrical power electrical power utility engineer he's independent an independent researcher in the fields of theoretical physics geophysics moon physics gravity astronomy ancient advanced high technology and healing and his passions are in the alternative world of ancient human history and theoretical physics. He's written two books. One, the first one is Pyramid Gravity Force, which explains the purpose and operations of all the pyramids scattered to the four corners of the world. His second book, There's Something About the Moon, ushers in a new age of reasoning, out with the old superstition and backward ways and in with newly discovered logic to liberate the human consciousness with this amazing discovery. This new book takes a journey into the very distant ancient past into the divine feminine that uncovers the true origin of life on earth, coupled with an amazing lost scientific knowledge on how the moon is a grandmother clock that regulates large cycles on earth like ice ages and interglacial periods. In this book, 
He explains how our ancestors read the moon and how we as a collective people can read it today. Knowing with what, when the big changes are coming is the key to our survival. Um, it's going to be a full show tonight, and I'm so excited having both of these people here. I'm going to bring Marta on first. Marta, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Barbara, for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. I mean, you are doing stuff that is so inspiring to me. I can't imagine how you how you keep a sane, balanced mind trying to pull together 20 people or so to come together yes. at one time to um, to educate us and to enlighten us and to give us information that that is as a collective awe-inspiring and mind-shattering. It's got to be a cool thing to do, but why did you do it? I mean, it's a crazy venture. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Yes, it is a crazy uh, idea, especially when you don't have someone else that has preceded you to follow and be able to, um, to compare and, and be able to uh, take from what they, the work they've done before um, so to make it easier on you. Um, I have people anywhere from laughing at me to hanging out the phone to just plain outright telling me to my face that I'm crazy. And I said, hmm, I must be right on. Let me keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's somebody has to because researchers um, – and, and, and people who get involved in studies really, really deeply um, often get so lost in their own worlds that they forget to share it with the rest of us. So somebody pulling these people together so that, so that as a whole they can, they can share information amongst themselves and, and then share it with the public um, is, is a monumental um, process and and you actually did it last year and you had a very successful conference yes we did um the first conference was focused was mostly on scientific based data and all the people that have been doing research from a scientific point of view which has changed this year is the focus is the healing powers of pyramid and focusing on what can be done in so many different levels at a time where this information is so greatly, greatly needed since our survival as a race depends on us remembering what it was like and the work we have done in the past. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that when, when people get very involved in their work and all of these people I'm sure have, they kind of lose their perspective and it's, it's, it's so important to kind of put them in a place where they can share it. So everybody can, can get something from the knowledge that they've gathered. I, I take it. There are a number of people, I'm not going to ask you to, um, you know, give away any secrets, but there are a number of people that have new discoveries that, that will open the doors to understanding on, on multi different levels. Indeed, Barbara, indeed. Um, the, the problem is that this, uh, up to now, that this type of conference doesn't fall anywhere. We are halfway between the RC 
hardcore Egyptologists do the God doing fantastic work and uh, researching, but they're basically focused entirely out of Egypt. And it's important to know that there are pyramids, hundreds and hundreds of them, which we already know their whereabouts throughout the planet. And then there's the hardcore researchers that are not part of the Egypt-only um, group, and they do tremendous work bringing information forward that they have spent long, long time and arduous hours researching uh, to bring that forward. So we are somewhere in the middle of that. We fall in the middle because we are tying spirituality to the research. And we mm-hmm. have a different perspective as such for uh, the archaeologists that are doing this work. Well, and, and when you look at it, archaeologists are looking for one thing and and geophysics are looking for another and astronomers are looking for another. And everybody's very protective of their field so that you've managed to get so many people together to share their information instead of, you know, kind of going mine's more important than yours type stuff. Because it all it all matters. And, and I think one of the biggest things that your conferences do bring out is that that we, we really don't know anything about the pyramids, that, that we're just beginning to scratch the surface of the information that is there that can facilitate um, today um, a, a new way of living life, of utilizing the ancient techniques to apply to today. I mean, it's, it's so important that, first of all, that, that, like you said, that we remember, and secondly, that we apply it to our lives because the the work that's being done is just phenomenal. And the more I read, you know, from people with different modalities, the more, the more tantalizing it becomes because, you know, we see pyramids and we think of mummies and we think of King Tut and that's it. And we walk away and, and there's so much more there. Indeed. You're right on. Um, it, you know, the pyramids and the knowledge they hold, which and actually we hold that knowledge. Um, you know, we look for it in monuments, but really we are the key to unlocking the information that's already been set there for us to come in now at this time and uh, disciple and, and share. And I really emphasize the sharing part because that is a must. And the way I look at things, we are already the very strange month in our family. And, um, you know, there are other sectors of the population that prefer that maybe perhaps this information does not come out. I don't uh-huh. know. don't want to know. Um, but the, this is about, as you mentioned, bringing this out, sharing it with one another, because by sharing and helping one another, we will be moving forward faster. And um, the pyramids are ready to develop the information. Yeah, no, and, and they are all over the world. They're here in the United States. They're, they're all over the world. And I've often thought that, that and, and, I'm, and I'm humanizing this way down to the basic level, but if, if those who actually created the pyramids in spirit are sitting somewhere watching, you know, it's kind of like, get me another drink. Do you know what they're thinking now? And, you know, can, can you just imagine looking down 
you know, thousands and thousands of years later and at, at somebody discovering, I don't know, a cell phone and, and listening to the stupidity with which the people are trying to figure out what was this for? You know, did they cook on this? Did they, you know, what did they do with this? And, you know, it's stop and think, you know, 2000 years later, they're looking down at us trying to figure out without a book of directions or anything, why we did something. And, and I, I'm sure they're just saying and getting drunk, um, you know, it, it's kind of like we made it so clear. How can they be so stupid? <laughs> well, do, you know, we need to go easier on ourselves. Uh, uh, but yes, I definitely, definitely hear what you're saying. But basically, I mean, remember, there's a timing to things. Uh-huh. And that is a key. And the timing is here and now for this to come out, for this to be to unfold, to be to be revealed. And we're certainly open because we're remembering. We're remembering oh, yeah. the work we did before. Well, and and we do carry the genetics and the and the Hall of Records in our DNA, so that the information is there. Sometimes, though, it is just so far out that people tend to negate it because it's just too fanciful. It can't possibly be that. So well, that's, that's an excellent point you're bringing up. I know when you first hear, like, what, you know, you, you ask the average American person because the European are a little more sophisticated and more in, in tune with the pyramids than we are here in the States. If you ask the average American person, and, you know, what you know about pyramids, they are going to 99% of the time tell you Egypt. And maybe, yep. maybe they'll add Mexico uh, because they had done some tourist trip there and, and they remember visiting them. But the fact of the matter is that in the Americas alone, we have over 300 pyramids. And you just don't hear about it. Pyramids are everywhere. And we understand that was haunted ancient civilization, no matter where they were located, had the exact same idea. How did that happen? That is amazing to me. I'm just the average human being. I'm the average person in the Midwest. I don't have any um, major degrees, but I'm just as curious as the next person about pyramids. Maybe a little bit more because I had gone to the risk of doing this. Um, you have to understand that our survival as a human race depends on us remembering the usages of pyramids, which our next speaker will be telling you a lot more about. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's it's really, when you stop to think about it, our schools aren't teaching anything about the pyramid. Well, they're teaching about the Great Pyramid of Giza, yada, yada. But but what they're teaching today is is not the truth. And yet, we're still teaching the same thing over and over and over again. And we're not allowing the kids to actually question or, or take a look into the greater depths of what's there. And as a, as a, as a retired school teacher, it bothers me greatly that these kids aren't thinking. And um, when you, you know, when you, when we have the materials and the, and the abilities to do ground penetrating radar and LIDAR and all of the stuff that we have at our, at our fingertips now, we're able to delve so much deeper into everything. And, and, and it's, while we're doing it, 
it's not being reported. It's not being shared. It's, it's frightening as to what the future holds if our children aren't taught to question and, and, and you know, start digging. Uh, I would say don't follow, lead, and that's also in that category because we need to start thinking on our own, and hopefully we have learned enough so we can encourage our own kids to do so. And there's so much being done out there, but you just need to hear about it. People say, why should I come to a pyramid conference? And I said, why should you not come to a pyramid conference? Your survival depends on it, plain and simple. There is some amazing, amazing work being done this year, especially since we're featuring medical doctors. Who ever heard of medical doctors working in pyramids? Whoever heard of any doctor anywhere working with pyramids, but they're there. In countries mm-hmm. like Cuba, the head of the orthopedic department in Cuba, who didn't have access to the, the medical profession of Western medicine, now has installed a pyramid in every orthopedic hospital, in every department of the hospital in Cuba has a pyramid. I bet you didn't hear about that. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are well, people yeah. in India, one of my speakers in India is going to tell you what he did with senior citizens and healing and balancing everything with just pyramids. And he is not even doing it. He's teaching them how to do it so they can do it themselves. Wow. And, and so, that's part so, of what you're going to hear. So you've got how many speakers there this year? We, we have 20 speakers. It's a tight, tight down schedule. I need to do only one speaker at a time because to me it's important that you hear what they have to say each one. I don't even uh-huh. call them, I have no keynote speakers um, because I believe that everyone's work is just as important as the next person. So you want uh-huh. the keynote speaker listed in the, in the conference. So you're fully involved in whatever they're presenting at the moment, whoever's presenting. And if people want more information on the conference, they go to www.globalpyramidconference.com? Correct. And then okay. you, can, you can also uh, shoot me an email, and I'd be happy to answer any questions privately that you might have. And that email address would be? Simple, a global pyramid conference. Well, that's easy. Okay. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave your microphone open, just in case mm-hmm. you you have something you want John to to touch into that that um, that he drifts away from. So we're going to John, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, Barbara. Hello, Marta. Oh. Hi, John. How are you? <laughs> good, so, good. So, John, you've written two amazing books, and Thank and you. the um, they're both they're both um, I I I realize that this is really pyramid oriented, so I think we should start with pyramid gravity force. And what prompted you to get involved in in gravity and pyramids? What what is it that led you to this point in time? Uh, I've always been, uh, you know, a, a scientist at heart since I was a youngster. Um, I worked at the Museum of Science in Boston in the uh, planetarium. 
when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. like 15, 16 years old, I would, you know, help with take the tickets uh, during the, just on weekends. And then uh, I would, I would run around and, uh, you know, change the slides in the old Bell and Howell cameras during the presentation. It's all computerized mm-hmm. now. It's not, there's no, nobody's running around behind the walls and tripping and falling and <laughs> to get the next slide in. So, uh, Anyways, yeah, so that was that was kind of like an introduction to uh, you know the the heavens for me and and gravity and and I've, I've done a lot of uh, research on my own. I've I've read a lot of uh, books along the way and, uh, of of the of the giants, you know the uh, you know uh, Newton and uh, Newtonian physics and Einstein and and and, and I've been following along on all the uh, the great uh, theories out there. Grand Unified Field Theory and um, you know quantum physics and I've always dabbled into it, even though I've been working full time as an engineer but I've always you know that was my passion was um, you know gravity and, and uh, I used to do experiments on my own trying to manipulate gravity with apothecary scales and a few other few other things so um, that was that was uh, kind of my uh, my my intro into the world of uh, science and physics, uh, along with you know going to going to schools and things of that nature. But um, you know that that kind of uh, you know set me up for the uh, you know the big question when I walked into the you know the living room one day. Some somebody had the the TV running. It was on and uh, Makio Aku from he's he's from New York. He's a uh, physicist, pretty. Pretty popular guys, a lot of books, a lot of theories, um, and uh, I, you know, I just sat down in a lazy boy chair, and as I was going down and uh, you know, free falling into it, he, the last words come out of his mouth before he cut to uh, before they cut to a commercial was, "We still don't know what these pyramids are for," you know, and, uh-huh. and uh, I had a I had a table mounted. Uh, you know, globe in the in the corner of the room, and I was looking over at it, and I just had an epiphany, like, you know, geez, I wonder what's on the opposite side of uh, the Giza uh, pyramids. And um, I was I always, for some reason, I always had globes around. If you went into my house, there was globes, like you know, there was atlases, globes. It was just I was just fascinated with these, uh, you know, the Earth and everything. So. Um, up I go. I take this, you know, the 15-foot trek over to the other side of the room. I, I found Giza, and I, you know, the Giza Plateau, the pyramids, and then I spun it 180 degrees, and it landed on the Hawaiian hotspot. So that's that's odd, you know. It's, it's mm-hmm. One of those, one of those things. So, you know, a few weeks uh, passed with me, uh, you know, thinking about it, and um, I, you know, I, I saw well, well, there's other pyramids on the planet. What are they lining up with? So I started to uh, get into, uh, you know, I said, okay, we get the Sun Pyramids in uh, Mexico, and they line up with, um, you know, a, a volcanic extinct volcano in the uh, on Sri Lanka called Mount Sigeria. It has an elongated uh, skull for a magma magma plug, and it has giant claws that rival the uh, the size of the Sphinx in Egypt. And nobody knows where these came from. So, well, it's odd. Then the other ones were the Shen Pyramids in uh, China. And uh, they lined up with the Bermuda uh, Island, which is two super calderas. And then, like, after 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 alignments, you know, uh, going from one place to the next, 
I said, well, okay, so we have we have some physical evidence here that shows there's a, you know a definite connection to um, pyramids and volcanoes, and then just me being a, a you know obsessed with gravity and, and the uh, the, uh, the mechanics behind it and, and fascinated by it, I said the only the only thing the only thing I could deduce was it's a gravitational connection between these two places that were literally, you know, four to five to, you know, 8,000 miles away from each other in some instances. So, um, or maybe not 8,000, you know, maybe, you know, five to 6,000. So, um, you know, get into, I get into the alignments, I get into the, uh, you know, the, uh, basically, so I, I kind of jumped into, um, uh, geophysics and theoretical geophysics and, and plate tectonics and magma control and and uh, you know so I, all of a sudden I just you know, I just got I just got a, uh, immersed into all these different uh, fields that were a lot of great minds have come and gone and, and really did a lot of uh, amazing work and um, uh, Velikovsky was one of them and uh, there's a bunch of, there's, the, the, the list goes on and on but um, what I was going to say was the uh, you know so the connection so so stepping back and pulling back from it all um, I'm saying like, oh, okay what's powering these uh, pyramids to connect with these volcanoes because um, gravity there's, there's two types of gravity that I that I refer to one's static and the other one's live gravity so um and, and Earth, Earth is submerged in live gravity because of its moon, and we spin through the moon's gravitational field, and we see this every day with the high and low tides, uh, twice a day on the planet. So, so that was, you know, that was a big uh, uh, a breakthrough for me because nothing was adding up. Like it was just like everything, it, nothing was making the connection. Like just having a, a pyramid sitting on the ground to me was just static it wasn't it wasn't it didn't have any real um you know flows and then once i connected the moon to the as the energy source and that the pyramids were actually acting like lenses gravitational lenses and offsetting the gravitational fields 180 degrees opposed to them on the same approximate latitude then it started to uh, ring it true and then what we see every day to back that assumption up or that theory up is you have a moon high tide and 180 degrees uh, opposed to the high tide. You have a moonless high tide. So you have, Mm -hmm. you have this, you have this, um, this repeatable observable evidence happening day in and day out that, that is backing up what I'm saying about these uh, pyramids uh, in connection with these um, volcanoes. Okay, so and, you, uh, you 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 have identified a connection. Right. What is the purpose of the connection? Well, it, it, this this is um, this is what it, it kind of grew into. Um, planet builders, okay, whether you believe it's God or light beings, whatever. Uh, to me, the further and further you get into the universe and uh, planets and uh, just the amazing things. It's the, the, uh, the odds that this stuff just happened on its own with the big bang is just absolutely absurd. There is the big bang. I, I subscribe to that, but there was some fine tuning done 
in this solar system, okay, <laughs> and, and, and this, uh, with the with the uh, planets, the, the whole the whole uh, trajectory trajectory that we're on around the uh, the center of the Milky Way galaxy. But anyway, stepping back from that, uh, I had to ask myself a question: What is it on this planet that you need to control? What is like if you're a planet builder? And you put together this beautiful planet called Earth. What's what is it that you want to control to make life uh, nice and quiet and easy to, you know, thrive? And it's and it's plate tectonics. It's um, magma control. It's um, subduction zones. You want to keep them soft and malleable. You don't want them building up energy. And every time, you know, the uh, the, the seasons change, you get this huge release of energy that wipes everything out. So to me, it was it was. Um, it was pretty simple. I just, I just said, okay, that, that makes sense. It was, it was something I could, you know, grab onto it. It's um, viable. And uh, what I see, I see with the, the pyramids, like just say the Giza plateau pyramids and the Hawaiian hotspot. I, I, I refer to the Hawaiian hotspot as the uh, magma relief valve for the Pacific uh, plate, the Pacific ocean. And uh-huh. although, it's surrounded by the ring of fire. The ring of fire is, you know, a massive, um, uh, you know, uh, volcanic ring of uh, volcanoes. Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Ring of volcanoes. But in the center of the ring of fire, you have the relief valve. Now, if that was to just say recently, we just had the, uh, 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 uh a large, um, increase of magma discharge through that, uh, Hawaiian hotspot. Now, just imagine if that wasn't allowed to release that that magma, it would be coming out in violent uh, explosions around the Ring of Fire, and so it would build up somewhere else and, and blow up. So, point being, the uh, Giza Plateau or the, uh, uh, the pyramids in the Nile Valley. So, I think over time, over time, uh, when people understood what was going on with the planet. They would make larger pyramids, or they would rebuild the pyramids to keep that lensing uh, uh, mechanics going to to allow the Hawaiian hotspot to stay open to relieve magma pressure. And uh, so that's that's just going back in history. So the point the point is that that was the uh, number one reason for um, these pyramids for me. Now there, there's multiple purposes for pyramids. There's there's, uh, there's three major uh, that I've I've discovered that I've come to believe. So one would be magma control for pyramids. Now you have you have um, ancient calderas like like I talked about the uh, I pointed out the uh, Bermuda Island. You have two super calderas, not super calderas. Now those are dormant right now, and then you have the uh, uh, the sun pyramids lining up with uh, Mount Sigeria in, in Sri Lanka. Uh, that being said, there's different geographic geological times on Earth, and we're in a very you know short uh, 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 time span in the interglacial period. You know, most of it's ten to thirteen thousand years. So uh, the geology changes when we go into an ice age, and these pyramids that are still there and the, the calderas are, are dormant will open up as as we go back into an ice age and relieve pressure at these specific points. And 
th- these three big ones are actually in the in the ocean. And you have one, you know, in the Atlantic Ocean, which is the uh, Bermuda Island, and then you have one in the uh, on the Indian Plate, which is Sri Lanka. So, on this strategically located, you know, in, in a third of the planet, a third of the way around, and they and they're in the uh, you know in the uh, middle of these oceans or quite in the middle, but you know, they're in, in the uh, middle of these plates. So um, that all being said, except for the Indian Ocean one, so that all being said, you, there are multi-purposes for the pyramid. So when you build a pyramid, you're creating a lensing uh, operation underneath or application underneath the pyramid with the moon's gravitational uh, pull and release every day. So as we spin through it, uh, as a pyramid spins through the uh, moon's gravitational lock that it has on the uh, planet, it condenses the gravitational field inside the center line of that planet, uh, uh, pyramid, excuse me, and it pulls things up. Now, large pyramids like the uh, Giza Plateau pyramids, they manipulate magma currents and, uh, you know, open uh, punch holes and tect- tectonic plates to relieve magma uh, pressure on the opposite side of the planet. But uh, in conjunction with that, they also pull up um, magma close to the bottom of the pyramid, and they also pull up water. And and over time, they actually raise the land that they're built on. So if you ever see, if you ever go out and see all these thousands of pyramids or hundreds and hundreds of pyramids around the world, you'll notice that all of them are kind of elevated on on the uh, land that they're um, built on. So. So one's magma control. The other one is uh, the second one would be to raise the land that it's that it's built on. Like one of the one of the more critical pieces of land mass on the planet is uh, Central America. It's a little peninsula, but what it does is it separates two large ocean conveyors. You get the Pacific conveyor, and then you have the ocean. I mean, Pacific Ocean conveyor, and then you have the Atlantic Ocean conveyor. Now, if that strip of land were to uh, be compromised, you would crash those two conveyors and cause, um, you know, some major weather disruptions around the world. And, uh, you know, m- most of uh, Europe is, is inhabited because of the uh, ocean conveyors in the Atlantic Ocean. It brings the warm, warm water up through the Gulf Stream. And, uh, you know, England itself is on the same latitude as Alaska. So, so that's... Um, that's the second. The second purpose would be so. That's why you have like three, four hundred pyramids in close proximity to each other on that peninsula of land, and is to re- keep that land from sinking. And it actually raises that whole peninsula, the Central America Peninsula, and in strategic places, it keeps that um, land elevated with the moon's gravitational lock on it. Uh, the other thing is uh, the smaller pyramids. Well, those would be medium-sized pyramids. So the smaller pyramids or large pyramids, the smaller pyramids would be used to uh, uh, manage your ground table water, right? Your uh, your uh, your ground your aquifers underground. Because if you could pull on the moon when you spin when the Earth spins through, you know, slow down a little bit. <laughs> you get it excited. <laughs> so when when the Earth spins through, when the pyramid, the small pyramid spins through the gravitational field of the moon. It pulls because it's a it's a concentrator of gravity. It, it concentrates the gravitational field. It pulls the groundwater tables up higher, 
underneath the pyramid, okay, instead of, I mean, it would come up anyways, but because there's a pyramid there, it'll pull it up maybe three or four feet for, you know, 100 miles around the pyramid. So, well, wait, wait, isn't, wait, wait, isn't, isn't the Great Pyramid of Giza built on solid rock? Yes, yes, on the uh, grotto, right. But it's still, it's still lensing the gravitational field. It's a higher, denser gravitational field that goes through the, uh, the rock into the uh, aquifers that are underneath. Now, they've, they've identified two of the largest freshwater um, bodies of freshwater. They're like freshwater oceans, I think they've used that term. Under the Giza, Plat- under the, um, the Giza Plateau or the uh, Nile Valley pyramids, and also under the uh, the uh, Shen pyramids in China, those are two uh-huh. separate you know places that have uh, been identified as having massive uh, aquifers underneath them. So again, I, I'm just that's backing up my theory that 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 you have these pyramids. And there's also mountains. Mountains mountains do the same thing. They lend the gravitational field. You'll, you know, they, they, they also pull the water up, uh, the water tables up to the, uh, into the mountain or, you know, up under the base of a mountain also. So uh, it, it basically comes down to geometrically shaped mass, mountains, pyramids, volcanoes. Now, if you don't have a mountain around, you're going to build a pyramid to, um, you know, keep the water levels high under the ground, um, raise the ground, and then also for, for ge, uh, geoengineering purposes or planetary stability, you're going to punch a hole through a tectonic plate on the opposite side of the planet and relieve magma pressure. I know it's biofest, and I'm, uh, you know it's it's out there, but the alignments are, don't lie. You know the alignments are dead on. And no, I and got the alignments. Uh, what what I'm fascinated yeah. with is what about you know a lot of these pyramids have been altered or destroyed or, or definitely mm-hmm. blown up parts, especially the, the Great Pyramid of Giza. I mean, they were mm-hmm. not gentle with that one. Does that disrupt right. this whole process as well? Does that change our, uh, the frequency with which these, these ages roll past us, or, or um, are we still stabilized? That's a, that's a, great, a great, uh, great point, great question. Um, my my feeling, and you know, and and uh, a lot of people that I speak to is that uh, the the pyramids. If you look at you look at a, if you if you break it down to um, uh, subatomic flows of uh, just say just say for an analogy, say uh, the sunlight, and you take a magnifying glass and you concentrate the uh, the photons into a tight a tight focal point, you create heat. You're actually, you're actually condensing what's available light on one side of that lens, and you're bringing it down to a tight focal point to generate heat. And that's just a subatomic particle, the photon. Now, you have yeah. on the flip side of that, you have the subatomic particle, the graviton, which is a weaker force on the planet than, than, the, uh, than the, uh, the photon. But the graviton, so that's why pyramids have to be so large to do the same thing that a simple glass magnifying glass would do with a photon. So that's why you have to build these, you know, some of these pyramids are 6 million tons and, and bigger. Oh yeah. There's, there's larger ones. La Dante, El Tigre, 
uh, down there in Guatemala are uh, twice as high as the pyramids in Giza. So point being, point, the point I wanted to make was the more perfect, the more, um, uh, you know, the more perfect the shape of the pyramid is, the more it can lens. Like if you had a, a, a damaged glass lens and you were trying to um, concentrate the photons into a tight spot, it was all scratched and cloudy. It's not going to do a good job condensing the uh, photons into a tight focal point to generate heat. Same with the pyramid. If you let the pyramids erode and, and fall into ruin and they lose that precision geometrical shape that it once had, they become weaker and weaker. So point being, if you went over to, I mean, you could see some of the, uh, the middle pyramid um, on the Giza Plateau, GP2, uh, I think it's Menker. Is it Menker? Or I forget. Well, isn't isn't <laughs> one isn't isn't but, one of them missing a capstone too? And with that, uh, they all are. They all are. Oh. Most pyramids. I don't think you'll find a pyramid that that was built in ancient times. They're they're, they're trapezoids. They're really not pyramids. Yeah. They're trapezoids. Hence, since the term trap, they're trapping the gravitational field in the center line, but. The other the point I wanted to make was the uh, middle pyramid still has its exterior casing up in the top third of it. The, the exterior casing was a smooth, um, uh, uh, real real refined piece of masonry that gave the pyramid that um, that per, the perfect optics, if you will, because we're mm-hmm. we're basically dealing with optics here. We're talking about these giant pyramids. We're on the level of opticians or optics. Um, uh, optic physics, really, that that you're trying to achieve here. So, the, um, to just to make just to give you a, a visual, so you want to have all your pyramids um, brought back to their original shape, uh, you know, the original design, and that's having a smooth exterior. And um, so, yes, yes, there, there is there is concern that um, you know these pyramids, are, although they still are working they're not working as good as they could be working. So just to make a point, if, if um, we got a, got a movement going to rebuild the pyramids on the Giza plateau and brought them back to their original design specification, you would be pushing more magma out of the Hawaiian hot spot and that would quiet down the ring of ring of fire. And you wouldn't have so many of these El Nino or uh, uh, high temperature uh, ocean conditions that you have in the Pacific. So this, this, it's, it's like everything is connected. Like this, you know, you do this and you, you have, uh, you know, you do one thing and you get three other things that change. So there's, there's, um, there's, uh, you know, some, uh, some reasoning behind um, controlling magma on this planet and, and putting it through the Hawaiian hotspot is, is one of the, one of the, uh, you know, I think it's one of the one of the uh, few uh, dynamics or uh, places that are still in operation from uh, the last time these plant, these pyramids were re- uh, built rebuilt actually. Well, there are there are some huge calderas. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, there are some huge calderas, you know, in the well Yellowstone for one, but there's another one that's that's mm-hmm. uh, in in it's. It's kind of closer to the coast towards California too. So, yeah. are are you suggesting that that you know we're going to see a lot more volcanic um, 
eruptions and stuff like that because we don't have the pyramids in place or are the pyramids there just to keep a balance and, you know, it, it's essential for there to be a, a, a pressure release point at some point in time in order to keep us stable. Yeah. I think like if, um, you know, we could get a hundred scientists together at the university level and jump into this ancient technology that common sense will, will reign and that it'll be, it'll be like, okay, it's, we can, we, these are constant erupting volcanoes. These um, pyramid control volcanoes, they create constant erupting volcanoes when they're, when they're uh, built to uh, the design specification. Point being is, is that uh, a lot of the other volcanoes, stratovolcanoes and all the other types of volcanoes, they, they, blast off and then they seal up and then 50 or 100 or 1,000 years later they do the same thing and they have uh, catastrophic um, damage on, to all the, uh, all the uh, you know, uh, surrounding area. So if, if you had a choice of uh, opening up uh, an already uh, you know, active volcano and, and don't let it seal up, Okay, by by creating a building a pyramid on the opposite side of the planet, 180 degrees away from it, you you deflect the the uh, magma currents, or you lower the uh, the gravitational field over that volcano and allow the magma to uh, dribble out over time, so it doesn't it doesn't seal up. So it's, it's a constant erupting volcano. And then what you have what you've done is you've controlled um, a geographical location. Um, in, on Earth and prevented it from, um, you know, creating these uh, these uh, catastrophic volcanoes from erupting. I'm not saying you could do it everywhere, and it's it's kind of I think when they when they do when you do it on a on a global uh, uh, scale, it's for a much larger uh, a much larger reason than just um, you know keeping a, a a, a nice uh, vacation uh, resort uh, <laughs> free from volcanic activity. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, well, uh, yeah. so, so, so the pyramids were strategically placed on purpose mm-hmm. in order to, pr- to create these pressure release valves, so to speak. Uh, yes. And, yes. In, in different geogra- geological times. Like we're just in an interglacial period, which is the big flood. And uh, eventually we're going to hit our water maximum and we're going to have a tilt. So we're going to go back into the ice ages. If you're on my, in my camp, the, you're going to have a tilt and you're going to have less sunlight. If you're in Malutin Milankovic's uh, camp, he says that the, the, uh, the orbit of the planet changes and uh, we get colder, which there's no evidence of that. But um, so, yeah, so in different, different, different times, you have different, um, you know, ge- geology going on on the planet. So, um, well, so the question, yeah, the question yeah. does kind of hang in the air here. Um, yeah. How old are they really, and who actually <clears throat> built them? Mm-hmm. Well, the humans, every one of them, was human. You got to, you got to retain, you got to, you know, basically take the human form down here. Uh, I think it's a lot easier to live as a human being than anything else. So. Um, I would think so. I could. I, I mean, we we'll go. Yeah, to go go out. I mean, uh, to me, 
to me, I, I dated the pyramid, the last rebuild. I call it the last rebuild. This, these, this is this type of construction, this type of technology has been down here for hundreds of millions of years. And, um, there's evidence of that. There's evidence of modern man being down here 300 million years and uh, on and on and on. And um, so without getting, without raising too many eyebrows and having people fall over, I'd say. I keep, I'll, well, I'll I, I wouldn't, I, I'd raise the eyebrows. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rein it back in. And because I think the, uh, the uh, last rebuild is synchronized with the last magnetic pole swap. So going back that far, it's 800,000 years since the last um, major pyramid rebuild or construction occurred on, on the planet. Now, going forward from that time, I think that every 100-some-odd thousand years, these pyramids get rebuilt or they get, um, you know, a, a facelift, if you will. Maybe they get larger as well. Or they might have to put uh, pyramids somewhere else to you know, uh, just for the changing uh, geographical conditions on the planet. So, so that's, okay, uh, I come that's back to you of, again. That's the timeline. That's my timeline, anyways. It was well, it's um, yeah, great timeline. But all I'm saying is, <clears throat> where did the understanding of the technology come from? Because frankly, we don't have it today. Well, yeah, the well, it's um, you call it the. Uh, the rational mind has imprisoned the intuitive mind on this planet. And we're, you know, I would go for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think that's an Albert Einstein, um, an Einsteinian uh, comment, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So um, that mind, you have, you have like, um, you know, brilliant, brilliant seers that have come down to the ages. You had Nostradamus, uh, Edgar Casey. I mean, these guys, uh, Tesla. Einstein, I mean, you know, Newton, a lot of geniuses come in at certain times and they bring this, they bring in a, uh, a technology, you know, and, and uh, they bring in a, a concept, they bring in theories, they bring in ideas. And this is what's going on right now. You, you, it's what, while uh, probably on the uh, radio show right now, this is, this is, this is the process of right now of bringing in some information for the future generations uh, that, that will, you know, that'll seed the human consciousness on this technology and, and it'll go. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. like um, the, the, the grand design here is uh, the planet was built with the human mind in mind. Uh, uh, and uh, so it's, it's like, it's uh, you, you rise to the, you know, intellectual heights of, of the gods, I think, uh, you know, or the, or the masters. Mm-hmm. And then we plunge down we, 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 uh, that's, that's, if you're, if you're going to design a, a life form and a solar system and a planet, you can't have it continually going straight up. It would just, it would destroy itself. So you have to, you know, it's gotta, <laughs> it's gotta go in, uh, it's, it, it's gotta go in cycles. You gotta, it's up and down. It's up and down. Otherwise it gets boring. You know, if you know everything, it's like, why get up, you know? So, well, yeah, that's true. Well, let's <laughs> let's go back to uh, uh, philosophy here. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, I'm fine but, with that, but yeah, let's go good. back. Let's go, let's go back yeah. to the Great Pyramid of Giza. <clears throat> okay. And 
and only because that's the one that most people are a little bit at least familiar yeah. with the queen's right. chamber the king's right. chamber the grand yeah. gallery the you know the whole stuff there um so yeah. so like, uh, going with your philosophy here um, mm-hmm. you know, frankly, I, you know, I don't think anybody really believes anybody was ever buried in there. I mean, that just doesn't make sense no. at all. So no, what were, well, actually it's the, uh, the most, the most ridiculous idea seems to be the most popular one, the tomb theory, but <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Um, so, so what was the purpose of the Grand Gallery, the, 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 um, the quote unquote, Grand Gallery. um, the Grand Gallery yeah, and, and the Queen's Chamber and the King's Chamber and all of those, all of those levels of big heavy rocks in the King's Chamber that went above the chamber itself and, and yeah. the air passageways, obviously right. they were not, I mean, yeah. obviously let's, let's just admit it's a mystery. So, According mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to to your belief system here, how were those? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was constructed purposely that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what what was the Grand Galley for? What was the King's Chamber and the Queen's? What were they for? Well, I, I'll tell you, my ideas change from year to year. You know. <laughs> oh well, so, no, uh, mine do too. That's know? that's perfectly all right. Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. I mean, they, my, uh, yeah, the. Uh, the Grand Gallery, um, you know, it's it's a uh, just an amazing piece of work. I mean, the corbelling going on in there, and, and the stonework, uh, just beyond everything. I, it was it um, Pierre Pierre Houdin, I think he came up with the ramp theory, and he said that the Grand Gallery was used to as as a uh, some kind of a a ramp to get those larger beams. There's 41 of those. 70 ton granite Aswan granite beams up into the top of the uh, uh, King's chamber, which is, uh, what is it? Four, four of the leading chambers up there. And um, four or five. Oh, five. Yeah. yeah. Five. Yes. It's just five. And uh, that, 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 I mean, that, that kind of like, it makes sense. It's like, there's a pretty big beams, you, you know, it just uses a ramp to get it up there some way. Um, I don't, I don't subscribe to the, uh, you know, loincloth and bare feet and ropes and stuff. I think there's a little no, bit I more don't going either. on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think there's a little bit more going on besides that. So I mean, it's, it's possible that the Grand Gallery was just, just that, just a, a, a way to get the uh, heavier stones up to make the, um, the relieving chambers, which by the, by the way, don't relieve anything. There's, it's a pyramid. I mean, you know, all the uh, all the mass and weight is, is distributed equally out to the uh, foundation. So mm-hmm. the, uh, again, the, uh, the, uh, so that would be, that would be my answer for that particular location. Now getting into the queen's chamber, the queen's chamber used to be as used to be the highest chamber before the uh, last rebuild, uh, from what I understand. And there's evidence of that. Um, the larger course of blocks on the uh, level of the king, Queen's Chamber on the exterior of the pyramid show that they came in and, and put another large level of the larger stones of 20 ton blocks up on that course. I forget which course it is right now, but that, that escapes me. But And then they built, you know, what we see today, a larger pyramid. So the uh, Queen's Niche, um, 
that was the old Grand Gallery. That was, if you look at the, the uh, shape of the niche, that's the same same shape as the uh, the uh, Grand Gallery has right now, going up to the King's Chamber. So they dismantled that, and they you know they made the uh, pyramid that we see today. Uh, that all being said, um, these so they created the King's Chamber, and then you have the subterranean chamber. Now they're they're all focal points inside this uh, gravitational lensing. Uh, um, Machine called pyramid, uh, the Great Pyramid, and uh, if you wanted to increase the gravitational lensing, uh, or you could even have you know uh, some other um, uh, uh, what do we call it um, uh, like uh, uh, process going on. Like you could have uh, you could actually have like dry nuclear fission going on inside that uh, chamber if you wanted to, and just you know cycle. Uh, have tubes going into the chamber, the king's chamber, and remove the heat for the surrounding communities, make electricity, what have you. Uh, there's there's other other methods of um, uh, generating nuclear power than than what we have today, where we uh, you know we, we super concentrate uh, uranium to the point where it'll burn a hole to the to the core of the earth. You know, where mm-hmm. this, this particular instance, you could just take the raw uranium. I think it's 238 or 235 out of the ground, just assemble it in, in, inside, like, say, the, uh, the uh, sarcophagus in the middle of the uh, king's chamber, and that would just being in there and having it all closed up, you would have the gravitational lensing going on. But back in – I'm getting off topic, but if you wanted to increase the gravitational lensing capacity of, of, those, of those pyramids, you would fill the whole, um, the whole of these chambers up with, say – dense material, be it gold, lead, uh, uranium, and that would increase the gravitational lensing if you just filled the uh, king's chamber up and the queen's chamber up. So what, what that would do, in essence, would increase the, uh, the uh, gravitational pull on the Hawaiian hotspot and lower the gravitational field over there and allow more magma to come out. Um, just a theory. Gotcha. How much um, those yeah, chambers it's... are doing. You know? It's it's really kind of interesting if you look at a a slice of the pyramid, um, the queen's chamber appears to be directly under the 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 um, point of the pyramid. The the king's chamber is off center slightly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is there a purpose to that? Yeah. Uh, it, there there might be. There, there, well, there obviously there is. <laughs> Whether we know it or not, I don't know. I don't know if I know. I've, I, 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 I'm aware of it. Yeah, I am aware of it. And uh, yeah, there's definitely a reason for it. Now, is it is it because of the Grand Gallery is so large? I mean, I think the the Queen's niche, uh, the old Grand Gallery used to point to the east, and the new Grand Gallery points to the north. So um, I'm not not 100% sure on on why. They're off-centered, maybe for structural purposes, mm-hmm. um, uh, maybe not to destroy the uh, queen's chamber. They might have just shifted it over a little bit, but they still, they still could, you know, they could still, uh, you know, increase the lensing capacity by filling it up with denser material. Um, so, yeah, if so. if this is, you know, a really, you, you, there there is a connection between the pyramid. And the the volcano, and then 
the moon. How does the moon tie into all of this? The moon is the uh, is the is the engine really behind it all. It's the it's the uh, you know it, it shakes everything up on the planet. It it controls the speed of the planet. Um, you know, it gives us uh, high tides. It, uh, it it controls the magma currents. Um, you know, it keeps everything uh, malleable, soft, flexible. It flexes every tectonic plate on the planet every day um, when we spin through it. So it, it that that releases any any built up uh, energy between these large tectonic plate boundaries. So. That's that's uh, you know it's it's like perpetual motion. It's the um, it's a it's a, it's somewhat perpetual motion. I mean the, the pyramids, you know, other than having to be repaired every once in a while, they're basically they 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 work for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years, and uh, they work off the moon's gravitational energy. It's really a, a great uh, system. That you just you know it's, it's second to none really. So the moon and, and, is, the moon ties yeah, into it as as the free energy, you know. It's like it's like solar panels. You put the solar panels out, you get electricity. You put the pyramids out with the moon, and you get the moon power, and you get free magma control, you know, uh, or, or or controls your water levels, your water tables, and your uh, aquifers, underground aquifers, or it raises the land that they're uh, they're built on. Yeah, so, but it's also <laughs> I think you can do uh, you can do other things in there. There's healing. There's there's um, we're going to get into healing inside of pyramids, whether it's a six pound pyramid or a six million ton pyramid, and the time to go in based on the moon's angle, so you can uh, get the maximum benefit of the cosmic flow in the planet. Like the moon controls the cosmic energy flow through the planet. You know, obviously you get the you get the radiation from the sun. But the gravity, the gravity flow through the planet and through the uh, pyramids is um, is something that uh, we're going to talk in length about at the uh, at the uh, conference, uh, the Global Pyramid Conference, the second international scientific global pyramid conference, the healing <laughs> power of the pyramids. We're going to segue right into the when it's not, you know, it's not good to go into a pyramid just because you're there. It's, you need to go in at the right time, otherwise you're you're stressing out your uh, your, your whole system. So how do you how do you benefit? Uh, you know. Okay, so so that you know pyramid, yeah. you know everybody walked uh, in the '60s. Pyramids yeah. were, you know, they had a. Um, a peak in, in interest and everybody walked around with little pyramids on their heads and, you know, people yeah. sharp, people sharpened razor blades with them and they charged seeds with them. And, um, right. and, and you made a really good comment because so many people visit the pyramids, but, mm-hmm. but um, how do you mm-hmm. determine what the right time is to be in one of these huge structures? Well, you want to you want to go with your uh, your everybody has a, a flow for your chakras, right? I mean, it comes through the top of your your head and it goes down through all your, your chakras and out the bottom and it circles back up again. So yeah. you want to go in you want to go into a pyramid when that flow is present. That's going to uh, you're going to synchronize with that flow. Um, there's different flows of um, cosmic energy and gravity 
based on the moon and, and its position on the planet. So if you're, you know, if you you go in, you go in one particular time, um, you might have an unbelievable urge to take a pee. <laughs> They'll be crushing down on your, uh, your bladder. Okay. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know what I'm talking about that, that, uh, you know, listen to the show. And, um, that's that's one of the reasons here. If you're going in, it it, it affects your uh, endocrine system uh, immensely. So that's one of the one of the uh, you know drawbacks of, of going in at the wrong time. So uh, okay, well that definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> but I'll I'll reveal more at the conference. I don't want to let okay. too much out right now. But there Maria, is, there did is, you have? I, I think mm-hmm. Maria tried to get in here. Maria. Marta, I'm sorry. Marta. Marta, yes. Yes, um, yes, yes, John. Thank you for mentioning the conference. Um, you will be yeah. quite unique. And I yeah, appreciate your uh, bringing it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yep. I just, you know, so many people are so fascinated with healing, with utilizing pyramid energy. And so yeah, I want to go into this a little further because, you know, okay. aside from emptying your bladder, um, there are healing, <laughs> there are healing aspects to the pyramids. Now, yes. Yes. when they say to leave razor blades or seeds under them, nobody says anything about what phase of the moon to to utilize this energy. So, if someone is really interested in utilizing the pyramid energy, whether it is a little one they have on their head or a big one they hang over their bed or a pyramid they have outside in their backyard, how do you determine when is the best time to go into it for healing? Well, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an angle. It's, it's, if you look at the, uh, at the flows, you look at, look at the gravitational pull of the planet. Okay. Now, if you're, if you're in the pyramid, in a pyramid and the moon's right overhead, that energy is coming up from under the pyramid, right? It's coming, it's coming, right. you know, the opposite direction of your crown chakra flows. Okay. Now, yeah. if the moon's 180 degrees on the other side of the planet, it's pulling down. You know, it's, it's, it's pulling down, um, you know, it's, it's pulling the gravitational field down and it's, and it's lowering the gravitational field inside the pyramid. Now, if it's 90 degrees for the pyramid, um, you know, the, the angle of the moon is 90 degrees to the pyramid that you're in, uh, or your geographical location on the planet, mm-hmm. it's going to, it's going to pull the uh, the subatomic flows in the same direction. Okay, gravity, uh, you know, uh, all the all the uh, galactic energy is going to flow through your body in the same direction that your uh, you know your your uh, system is set up and it's operating properly. So and, and so, so that effect, would be that would be healing. Yes, that would be healing. Right, that would be healing. Um, you know, who knows, who knows, people need to, um, I'm just bringing this up. This is, this is you know, relatively new discovery uh, that I'm bringing forth, like all my stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, most of my stuff. <laughs> so, so the point,
point being is like we need to do research on it. Like we need to people, we, we need we need you know to uh, you know double blind uh, research. We get a hundred volunteers to go in and, and tell us what they feel at this particular moment, and then you know then go at the ninety degree phase of the moon. And what are you feeling at this particular moment? And then then we could also wire them up with uh, bio biofeedback uh, uh, equipment and and check the stresses of, of your body, of your mind, of your bladder. It does make What's one, uh, you know, I, there, there are tourist yeah. groups that are going all the time to oh, oh, the yeah. Pyramid of yeah. the Sun in South, mm-hmm. South America and, and certainly the Giza right. Plateau. And, and you know, you, know you make that kind of a trip, you put that kind of right. investment into, the, into traveling mm-hmm. there, you want to make mm-hmm. sure that you are be, you're able to calculate when is the best time to put yourself in the position Absolutely. of these energy flows. Uh, yeah, we, you're going into a very large machine with cosmic energy, uh, gravity. You, you're, you're subjecting yourself to a very... Um, very intense energy field when you're going into these machines. So if you want to go in at the right time, um, you know, I would say, I don't, so. I don't, you know, and it, it put, well, for, for the most beneficial, um, uh, you know, effect for you. Um, <clears throat> my, I, is, I think is, there's, you know, uh, is there, was there, in your opinion, because I know there were there was no book of directions with the Great Pyramid when it was opened up. Um, right, right. It, there, there is a a granite, for want of a box that they call a sarcophagus. Was there a yeah. purpose to that structure in the in the king's chamber that they they I, yeah. they they. They damaged the lid when they took it off to find nothing inside. Right, um, right, right. What, what was the purpose of it, and was it moved, or was it in the center of the chamber? I think it was. I think it was. In, it it lines up with the two uh, air shafts. With well, not air shafts, the gravitino accelerators. But uh-huh. I, I point out in my book. But um, it, if if you were to flip the sarcophagus over. Push it in front of both, uh, you know, um, east and west air vents, and uh, the east and west, no, the north and south. So the north and south, mm-hmm. and lay down on that sarcophagus and put your head right between the two of them. So, so this, this that would be the cosmic energy flow. So I think I think um, you know going out on a limb here. That was that was the, the reason it's at that height is for certain individuals to, you know, lay down on that, on that, um, on, on the sarcophagus and um, yet the uh, increase of cosmic energy flow in, in, in conjunction with the moon's angle over the pyramid. So, and I'm going, going further out from there. I think, I think, um, it, it it could be used to actually change the DNA of modern man and maybe maybe take the caps off of that, that little DNA strand and maybe get a few more inches on it or so and uh, bring back <laughs> some elongated skull people walking around, you know? Maybe they could manage the uh, 
managed to plan <laughs> a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, so, would not be a bad um, thing. Now, those well, air shafts so were I'm, not I'm really air shafts. Yeah. No, those air shafts. Just to finish the point, oh, sure. the point you, 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 it might be used for conception. You know what I mean? Uh, not to go, uh-huh. not to, um, not to, uh, you know, go any, go, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Digress any further. But if you go in there at the right time, and in, in the right position, you could change the DNA of of, of the uh, of the baby, you know, and, and get a a super being. So just a thought. Okay, so so you they won't, mentioned they won't let me in the now they're not going to let me in the pyramid. You know that, but go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think I would. Um, those those air shafts. You, you could take, take you could take gerbils mm-hmm. in or something, but those air shafts were not yeah, really right. air shafts; they were sealed. Right. So, right. So, so their direction and everything has nothing to do with um, um, astro astro geometry or anything like that. It was merely they were. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, but well, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to the uh, astro geometry and the. Um, and the uh, you know the time and the time stamps. Although it's possible, like, like I said, these things have multi purposes. There's many purposes to this to these uh, uh, pyramids, and uh, it's, it does. They've shown that it does have alignments to, to the stars up there, and um, they can they can uh, adjust the uh, you can simulate the sky and adjust it back to you know, what year they came back to. When um, <clears throat> those those shafts were built, I think uh, more like twelve thousand. Yeah, is it twelve thousand? But um, it, I mean, we already have like, a, uh, the biggest clock. We already have a, a clock that's uh, foolproof. It's procession, and that is that is the biggest timepiece on the planet, other than the moon. Um, but the uh, well, it's not the planet. But uh, so, anyways, yeah, the. the uh, it's the, the shafts. I got a couple of videos on my YouTube channel under John Shaughnessy, and I, I put out a couple of theories on, uh, you know, the shafts. And one being, you know, graviton accelerator that I have in my book, and gravitino accelerator. And the other one is um, there was these uh, granite balls that they uh, that they found in all the, in the king and queen's chamber, and and they had the uh, bronze hooks. You know, they went up with Upawat and they went all the way to the top of the pyramid of the shaft and they in the queen's chamber because the king's chamber's uh, doors were blown out by um, the gunpowder tears there colonel vice and a few of those other uh, yeah gunpowder happy people are just blasting away at that thing looking looking for the big stash you know and um so anyways the, the queen's chamber the uh, dixon uh, uh, he was a freemason that discovered the uh the, uh, and opened up the Queen's Chamber shaft, I think uh, maybe 100 years later than Vice. So thank God for that, because it was a blast in those doors out. There'd be nothing left of them. Um, but anyways, long story short, in my video, I, I take these granite balls, and there's a granite ball, and it's, and it's held up in place on the on the top door by, by those uh, bronze hooks. It's mm-hmm. a latch. Okay, it just holds the uh, bronze ball there in place, and um, I, I uh, it's it, in the in the uh, in the video they're they're thermal tabs, so they're when there's a high high um, incident of heat inside the pyramid, 
it it melts the say the you know the uh, they use the stuff today and and all the boilers they have like lead seal electric switches the boiler catches yeah. on fire <laughs> excuse me it it, it um, melts the lead the switch open and shuts the oil off same theory um, you got lead up there it melts the lead it releases the ball now the ball is going to get down 300 foot uh, or 200 foot. Um, 45 degree uh, 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 shaft we're probably going close to 120 miles an hour and it's going to blast out that remaining um, section of uh, wall in the, Queen's, in the King's Chamber and what that does is it is it lowers the gravitational field in there okay it just it kind of like it, it, it stops the uh, the energy it, it, it uh, you know more or less just just shuts it down so it doesn't overheat and blow up. You have evidence of a pyramid that blew up. Excuse me. You have an evidence of a pyramid that blew up in the um, north of uh, the, uh, the Giza Plateau. Looks like it blew up. So these, so the, I believe these were safety mechanisms. Now, the reason the Queen's Chambers shafts were never uh, uh, not shafts, the walls. There was like five or six inches of uh, granite. So if you envision the shafts come down into the three-foot-thick granite blocks, and they, they, they carved out the uh, blocks and they put the shafts in, but they didn't completely go all the way through. There's like three or four inches of granite there. Um, so, um, so that's when the ball comes down and just crashes right through the wall and shuts down the... Uh, the process inside the uh, inside the chamber. Point being, the reason the queen's chamber never had the the, uh, the walls blown out is because it was rebuilt. They they had, um, you know they they uh, when they rebuilt it they they removed the uh, uh, they took the balls down or they they, they did something so it didn't uh, open up the balls open up the shaft uh, the walls rather. Now the king's chamber. Uh, Colonel Weiss found the two openings. When he came in, something had shut it down. So it must have got hot enough <clears throat> where the um, the uh, shafts, uh, the balls were let loose, and they crashed open the uh, the walls to shut down the the uh, the, the the action, the uh, fission inside the inside the uh, king's chamber. So the point being, going full circle here. They're just mechanisms to shut down a process. And um, unfortunately, Vice was able to uh, stuff gunpowder inside the shafts and then light it because he thought the big stash was on the other side. And he did a lot of damage. And he blew what was left of the doors in the upper uh, section of those shafts in the king's chamber and just blew them right out the side of the pyramid, you know, so they're completely gone, obliterated. Well, if the safeties if, if the safeties are off, is mm-hmm. the pyramid still functional? Uh yes, yes, it's 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 functional because those shafts are now opened up into the chamber. Not to mention that the the whole pyramid's opened up and turned it into an amusement park. So yeah. Um, so is, it, it, is there any way? Uh, is there any? Is there any way, John, of measuring this energy? 
yes, there's, there's ways of en- uh, measuring the energy. Well, they were in there doing, um, they, were, uh, they had the Muon place. It was last year, I think. I forget what, what, um, who was in charge of it, but they were, they were, uh, they had, they went into the pyramid and they were placing plates. They were looking for, they were looking for uh, uh, other chambers in the pyramid. They're still looking for the stash. Silly humans. <laughs> just, <laughs> just don't end to it. But, but we'll take whatever they give us, right? So they put the muon plates out there, and then that, that's when they discovered they think they found something above the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the grand gallery or something. They think they got another chamber up there. They don't have anything up there. It's, what it is is that what what they're not understanding is that this is a gravitational lens. It's a muon lens. It's uh you know it's 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 a cosmic energy lens, and those plates are going to be picking up um, and 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 reading false negatives, saying there's a cavity there, when in, in actuality it's not a cavity at all. It's just a higher flow of, of cosmic energy that's creating those uh, that that. Um, that imagery on those uh, muon plates. So the point being, point being, they could they could use those muon plates to um, measure the energy. Now, I have I have a couple of uh, uh, you know primitive ideas on instrumentation also, and and uh, the thing with the thing with uh, gravimetric. Uh, equipment that they have it's all like a ball with a spring and a, and a fulcrum point it's really it's really uh, very difficult to uh, measure gravity in in that particular uh, with with because if you think about it you're inside the gravitational uh, lens with your instrumentation so what you, so in order to actually measure gravitational um, differential from say inside the pyramid outside the pyramid the instrumentation needs to be outside the pyramid and connected inside the pyramid. So there needs to be two uh, separate devices connected um, inside and out. And then that way you can measure uh, the gravitational influence of the moon. Um, you could do like, I got, I got a couple of, um, I got some uh, primitive um, gravitational uh, measuring devices. They, I got a ball drop device that actually measures the uh, velocity of a ball dropping in like three feet with um, micro micro clocks they just so the ball drops triggers the clock to, to run and then it, it goes through the second uh, scanner and it shuts the clock off now you could you could use those inside the pyramid in conjunction with the moon's uh, angle and 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 check and see uh well you'll see the difference of um of uh the ball dropping it'll drop at a slow rate or drop at a fast rate depends on where the moon is now with 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 um the pyramids placed where they are today if they've been there for a hundred million years or whatever the earth has tilted on its axis axis yeah. Does that shift and change the um, the um, alignment of the pyramids and the magma and the volcanoes because the because the axis has been changed um, yeah. since the last um, uh, ice age? Yeah. The tilt, 
talking about the tilt. Yeah, the tilt yeah. is actually changing now. There's a there's a road in Mexico, unbeknownst to a lot of people, that they go out and they at the uh, summer solstice every year they they mark where the shadow is. It's marching, uh, I think, on average about a hundred feet south um, every year. Okay, so it's so the actual shadow uh, on the uh, summer solstice is actually moving in a southerly direction, which means that the tilt is going from 23.4, and uh, lower to like the 22, you know, 21 in that direction. Not, it's not, it's not going there. I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about um, thousands of miles uh, before you'll actually get a one degree tilt in the earth from say 23 and a half to 22 and a half. But mm-hmm. that, that, is uh, changing, and um, so too does the you know the orbit of the moon. The orbit of the moon m- more more likely will uh, will will keep its six degree pitch from the uh, the equatorial plane on the on, on the uh, on the Earth, but it'll it'll rotate with it. It'll rotate with the Earth. And um, you know my other book there uh, there is something about the moon. The the uh, Face of the moon actually rotates. That's that's actually a, a long lost clock for uh, for the uh, people that are on the Earth that to uh, you know understand where they are in the larger cycles. We're talking huge, huge blocks of time here. Um, you know, hundred thousand year ice ages on average. So, well, oh yeah, um, and you know you yeah. do talk about um, the moon being the grandmother clock. Mm-hmm. Which and, and I and I've read there's something about a, the moon and and it's a fascinating book. Can you go a little bit into yeah. the the real purpose of the moon? Yeah, that was uh, my uh, a good researcher, my uh, co-author Wendy Salter. She's a spiritual psychologist. She uh, she definitely had she had a lot of uh, great input on um, you know the metaphysics and the, and the spiritual uh, side of things going into this book. Um, yeah, the, uh, the moon is, uh, there's, um, there's, there's actually images on the moon come to find mm-hmm. out. Um, you know, the dark side of the moon is actually the light side of the moon. There's no dark images over there. There's no, there's no shadows or anything. It's just all bright white. And then, uh, on the moon, the, the part that the, the face of the moon that, that always faces the earth actually has, uh, images on there. Well, they were burnt in by laser beams or what have you, but there's uh, five images on the moon, and they're uh, two two of the uh, most significant uh, astrological signs that we have down here. It's the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. So, yeah, the claw represents, everybody's probably seen the claw on the moon, and uh, that re- represents the, uh, you know, Tropic of Cancer, same as we have down, as above, so below, you know. Mm-hmm. So on on the uh, Earth we have the Tropic of Cancer. On the bottom part of the Moon we have the the uh, the uh, goatfish, which is the symbol for um, Capricorn, and that's on the lower part of the Moon. And um, that was that was actually that symbol was actually on some ancient uh, Roman coins. Augustus, I think he had uh, um, uh, the goatfish on one uh, coin dedicated to him, and he wasn't even born under that sign. I think he was uh, Piscean or something. But anyway, 
Let me go off topic here and we'll be in astrology. We'll never come back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then go, 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 come to find out there is a man up there looking down at everybody. His name is Consu. There's actually a, a human face up there, straight on face with, with eyes, lips, nose. It, it has the uh, outside perfect geometry of the outside um, uh, uh, outline of the human face. And then there's the cobra, which is a huge uh, um, symbol in in Egypt. And um, everybody knows that Steli with uh, Akhenaten and Nefertiti with their children. And at the yes. bottom of the, they have that, they, they miss, there's been a, a, a miscommunication. They, everybody thinks it's the sun. It's not the sun. That that round disc with the with the um, lines coming down is actually the moon and the cobra is at the bottom of it. And also, if you look at the lines coming down, they all have the uh, same claw that's up on the moon. It's the exact same, you know, imagery. So it's there's a uh, there's a lot. Of, I don't know what happened. The uh, the moon's been put on the paint on never mind list. I don't know what happened, but uh, we're, we're going to find out. Eventually, we're going to find out why it's been put on that list. So, anyways, uh, and then there's a C, which represents the tilts that the Earth goes through during these large cycles. And there's actually dark dots on this C. Now, if you get the book, or if you go on my YouTube channel, you can you can uh, watch my one of my videos, and you'll see the uh, the imagery. It's as plain as day. So, um, so that there's an integral part of, uh, the moon is actually a timepiece. It's a grandmother clock and it does rotate. Like right now, if you watch the moon come up out of, you just say a full moon, you watch the moon rise up out of the ocean. It's actually, uh, it's actually the earth spinning into it and we're seeing it rise. It has the, 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 uh, the appearance of rising, but not to get too technical, but you'll see that, you know, the, the, uh, the claw and the, uh, the, the, um, Kansu, we call it Kansu. It was the last, um, the only, only story out there where was, uh, our moon, the creator God gave Kansu the moon to drive. So there's actually a bust in Egypt, a black granite bust of, of uh, Kansu that, that looks almost, uh, exactly like the uh, face that's on the moon up there right now. And, um, it's not, but you know what's funny is because I'll tell people there you know, was an image of there's a man on the moon or there's a face of a human on the moon. We go, oh, everybody knows that. You know what you're talking about. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not that. There's some like there's a couple of them that looks like Elvis with the big sunglasses or something else. But this one is very, very detailed. Um, you know, an artist couldn't. An artist would have a hard time catching the geometry of, of the human face. The perfection. Oh no, that, I that, uh, no. It it definitely is there. a face, and so many yeah. people think you're referring to that face on the moon that that long time ago they they got pictures of that turned out to be some mountains and stuff. This is different. Right, right. This is That's actually a face. Yeah, yeah, and it's, and it is profound. <laughs> it's 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 <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it? Yes. I saw it. I said, whoa, I just saw a face on the moon. I was like, do you think what may may have happened is that because of technology, because of pollution, yeah. because of everything in the atmosphere, that mm. people today can't clearly see what is actually there because there's so much else going on in the atmosphere that, that well, you don't get a clear picture? 
Well, it's I, I'll tell you what, it's it probably has to do with um, you know light pollution, and uh, you need to be out in the dark country and to actually get a good visual of this moon, you have to literally be on the ocean, like it, you know, on the beach. Because once it gets up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an hour or two, it's so bright you can't even look at it. You know, it's 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 very bright, um, the full moon. But when it comes up out of the out of the ocean, you have that lensing effect from the uh, atmosphere that actually makes it larger than it really is. And then you can actually once once you really look into the images, like if you get the book, or go watch the video and let your eyes adjust and see where the images are. And then when you see the moon in real time, you'll then see the images. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's beyond everything. Why, uh, you know, nobody's has seen what I've been seeing. So, um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but people are seeing it now. So that's all that matters. I'm not crazy. I have a bunch, I have a handful of people that know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, no, I, I don't think you're crazy. I, I think that, that, that um, <clears throat> so much of the material that you've written about um, and, and you've connected the moon so beautifully to its purpose for the earth. I mean, if, if we didn't have the moon, we, we would be in big trouble. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, and, oh yeah. yeah. But, but the moon wasn't originally there. No, no, it was uh, probably somewhere else. But uh, yes. I think it was, I think the moon was here before the Earth. To be honest with you. Um, that being said, the uh, just just to just to make a point with the just uh, go full circle with the moon being a clock. Like there's two phases of the uh, of the clock. Now the face of the moon rotates. So right now, when you watch the moon come up, I'll get back to the other the other point you're making. But once once you see the moon come up, you'll see the face of Khonsu uh, come up out of the ocean with the claw and that's and so you're in the age of man through the interglacial period. Now if in, in the interglacial period man is man is growing, he's expanding, is he's uh reaching for the outer bounds, it's his age. Now once that rotates once once the rotation of the uh moon turns up the opposite direction and the cobra is down at six o'clock, then it's the age of cobra, you know, and and uh man's on the run. You know, <laughs> you're going into the ice age. There's no more expanding into the, uh, you know, into the uh, uh, higher latitudes. You're, it, it becomes a very tight knit um, place to live. There's not a lot of uh, uh, land mass with well, the I oceans you... being so high. Now, after you go into like maybe go 100, uh, 10, 20,000 years into an ice age, you'll have a lot of land. It'll rise up out of the ocean. Well, the ocean sinks actually, you know, because you're in ice building mode. Then you'll have a lot more land come available, but it's that first couple of thousand years going into the ice age. When you go into ice building mode, you start losing large tracts of land in the northern uh, or the higher latitudes, both in south, south, uh, both in the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere. What happens to the atmosphere when you go into an ice age? Because <clears throat> you're, you're, basic, age, yeah. you're basically taking mm-hmm. um, a lot of the um, landmass that, that has been, you know, you, you say, uh, one thing you said was, I mm-hmm. thought was so cool, was that the trees mm-hmm. are, the, are the lungs for the earth. 
But it, mm-hmm. during an ice age, you are going to do away with a great deal of the lungs. So does right. that change our right. atmosphere? It, uh, you, you know, uh, logic would say yes. There would, logically, there would be some kind of a, uh, uh, a change in the actual um, percentage. Now, maybe not, because once, once, we, uh, once the human family starts to decline, you won't be pumping out so much CO2. So you'll have a decrease in, uh, in that also. So it'll, it'll, I guess it'll all, it'll all, uh, you know, fall into, um, into its natural state. Like if you go into the ice core samples and that, that those, those, those are great find when they, when they came up and found those, the, uh, you know, the ice core samples, they go back millions of years and see what the atmosphere is like. The mm-hmm. atmosphere still has oxygen in it during the uh, longer ice ages. So there's still, you're still hanging in there at, at 19, 19, 20% oxygen and, you know, 79% nitrogen. So there is, there is something else going on that's, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, you know, allowing the oxygen to, uh, to be generated. Now they do, they have done some studies down, down in, uh, I think they said it's off the coast of, um, uh, the Amazon, the Amazon jungle there where they found that, uh, you know, that's what they theorized. That would be the largest uh, discharge of uh, oxygen and come to find out it was actually further out in the ocean. So there's a, there's, you know, so we don't talk about it because nobody understands it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, you're talking about, um, I think you said that the, the Ice Age, you know, from start to finish was about 104,000 years. Right. On so yes. humanity yes. as a whole, in other words, goes into decline and then starts to rebuild again as you come out from the Ice Age into the Water Age. Right. But um, what happens to the pyramids? I mean, are they destroyed yeah. to have to be rebuilt, or do they stay? How how does uh, that work? Well, well, a lot of the pyramids uh, are in, um, you know, ice-free climates. They don't, you know, they don't have to deal with uh, ice that that would destroy them. They're somewhat close to the equator, you know. I mean, well, you well, you got, <clears throat> I mean, geese, the geese is in Africa, uh, yeah, for all intent and purposes. So. Um, not to say that they don't get snow, but I think I think what happens is, um, you know, the ocean currents obviously change, and you don't have the uh, they don't that that heat doesn't go as far north, but it could actually be warmer at the equator than it is now, you know. So it's kind of there's a lot of changes that happen when you go into an ice age. They call it ice building mode. So I don't well, think well, um, I think the pyramids yeah. survive as long as they're not. Um, you know, um, submerged and buried by a mile of ice, which all the uh, physical evidence suggests that the glaciers, I think in Europe, they came down as low as France, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's the glaciers that really do the damage. So where the pyramids are, the bulk of the pyramids uh, on the planet, they're not anywhere near the glaciers. Now, there's... there's, um, there's, uh, you know, that's not to say that um, 
like I talk about a lot of a lot of mountaintops have pyramidal shapes, trapezoid shapes at the top at the very peaks, and I think those yeah. were uh, carved to set up the uh, the gravitational lensing in that mountain mass. <clears throat> so a lot of those uh, high peaks don't have glaciers either. A lot of the glaciers are at the at the lower you know lower two thirds of the mountains. It's not really the mountains are above the glaciers. Well, are the volcanoes that are that are opposite these major um, <clears throat> major pyramids are the volcanoes <clears throat> going to be free in order to let off steam, or or do we not have to let off steam during an ice age? Well, the uh, the plate the plates right now <clears throat> are um, I got a video on this too the uh, missing energy and pl- plate tectonics. Um, so, uh, right now you have the, uh, poles rising, uh, yeah. because of the loss of ice mass and you know, trillions of tons of ice have left the poles and gone into the ocean. Well, that ocean has, has gotten larger and put more pressure on the uh, tectonic plates in the, uh, under the ocean, just the weight. And so what, what's going on is, um, uh, the, the geologists will tell you, mainstream geologists will tell you that the mountains are still rising. You know, the things, things, things are still moving up. And what's going on is the, if you put your fingers together, um, you know, slide your fingers together and just push, you'll see, you know, you push the fingers, your fingers together, you know, almost like making a steeple or whatever, but not, don't turn it all the way up. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad where you got a visual. <laughs> I got a camera. It's hard to, hard to describe. But anyway. If you uh, you know you put the plates squeezed together, uh, they're squeezing together right now. So that's why you're having this magma pouring out of uh, the Hawaiian hotspot. You, have, you know it's it's because they're you know the more and more water that gets released into the ocean, the more weight that's pushing down on these uh, on these plates. And then also you have the uh, poles rising. So you have you have a reconfiguration from of the planet shape, the the actual crust of the planet. Is changing from pumpkin to a spherical ball shape. So, um, gotcha. so the flip side of that, once you go into ice building mode, you start getting uh, less ocean uh, weight, and the weight gets transferred back onto the poles. Now, you can take a balloon. You watch my video. I got a balloon. I squeeze the balloon, and when you squeeze the, you know, the top, put your hand on the top of the balloon, the bottom, you squeeze it. The balloon spreads out from the equatorial region. So in essence, uh-huh. the uh, plates actually release, and they op- you know they just they, uh, the the tension actually gets released because it's being pushed down on it. Uh, so you don't have um, that uh, need for a uh, a relief valve in that instance, you know, because it's it's not it's not uh, under pressure anymore. It's it's relaxing. So in essence. The, uh, the missing energy that I'm putting forth in my theory is that it's, I mean, it, it, uh, geologists stop as far as uh, thermodynamics. They, they say it's, oh, it's, it's uh, plate tectonics that are pushing, pushing it. They're not completely wrong. Don't get me. These, these people are brilliant. Don't get me. Don't get me wrong. I'm not poo-pooing anybody, but I just, I just wanted to, to put down that, that there is another energy in the interglacial period that actually is pushing, you know, India up into the Himalayas by this, this crushing, um, 
a squeezing of the uh, equatorial region of the planet because of the higher weight of water, uh, the increased weight of water. So, so I hope is I there, your question. You did? You did? Um, okay. Is there any way to harness this energy, to use it for energy for electricity, for things like that? Is Is there any way to harness it, or is it just... <clears throat> something we know is uh, there well i guess i guess uh yeah, it depends on how much i mean the the to harness geo energy like the energy that's available on the planet it's a large system it's a large you know the big systems um just well, is this the uh, same is this the same kind of energy tesla was talking about um I'm not well. I, I, Tesla was talking. Uh, you know, he was he was he was actually tapping in from the differential between the the uh, electric current that's always in the sky and the uh, ground of the earth. And, yeah. and uh, from what I understand, from what I read of his uh, work, brilliant guy, by the way. Um, yeah. Another brilliant guy. And well, um, uh, from what I understand, so he was tapping into that differential and magnifying that differential with his coils and he was creating mm-hmm. electricity. So, um, so that being said, it's already been done. I mean, he's already, he's already proven that it's been done. It's just, there's, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, uh, the oil, oil economy, uh, has been, has been like a roadblock for a lot of uh, these technologies. Tesla was around. Oh, yeah. Tell you, tell you personally what, <laughs> what kind of, uh, nonsense Absolutely. he had to go through. Because <laughs> he was he was giving it away. He just put it out there. He, you know, he was a, he was, he was he trying was a, to. A, that's for sure. He was a you know he was a, a, a saint really, and uh, he's trying to put it out there and give it to everybody. So you know, so you come up not to get into politics, but there's, there's been a roadblock for this type of uh, technology. But as far as like you know tapping into the moon energy, I think there's I think there's obviously some something because if you get subatomic particles flowing around it, you know you, you, you get, I'm, I'm, I'm always asking for the hundred scientists at the university level so they can do what I tell them to do don't ask questions <laughs> <laughs> good luck on that one <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah so there is there is uh, potential for you know I, I, I think tapping into the moon's gravitational forces is huge um, obviously, the technology is not available. Uh, you can't go down to the hardware store and you know tie a couple of things together and, and uh, generate enough well, power for your house. But um, well, yeah, these, but these the, cycles, the, uh, the thought, these cycles that the planet has been through since the beginning of time, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, the ice age and the water age, back and forth, back and have, forth. You, you got you got to have it to shut it down. You just can't keep heating up until you disintegrate. Well, it would be an Al Gore's world where the whole thing just turns into a big uh, ball of uh, magma, you know. But is the, is there uh, any the, uh, way the, to the, to mediate it to yeah. keep it so that you know we don't burn up, but we don't freeze over either? Is there any way to bring it into a a temperate zone all around the world? Is there really a need for the yeah. glaciers and everything? Uh, you know, I, it, I, I, I've, uh, I, I'm just standing on the shoulder of giants. That's all I'm doing. And it's not, not anything that I, I, I can, uh, put my hand on, but what I've, what I've actually uh, put my finger on, but what I've 
actually come to believe is that it's a, it's a flow. It's, you can't just stop. You're either cooling or warming. You can't just stop it like the air conditioner and just turn it on 72 and be happy because of the uh, the solar environment that we're in. So it's it's like it's either going one way or the other. So um, the ice age so isn't too bad as long as you're in a good part of the planet. You're you're fine. You know, <laughs> you'll be fine. Yeah. So so how how long do we have before we need to move to the temperate zone? And where where is the te- the temperate zone? Is South America, as far as I can see. Yeah right. Well, unbeknownst to the Americans, that wall's going up there to, to prevent them from running back down to the temperate zone. <laughs> Yeah, but we've got we've got like twenty thousand years uh, to go before we have to worry about this or something like that. Oh, uh, I wouldn't go that far, but well, we're, we're third. We just go by averages. I don't want to scare anybody, but we just go by averages. Uh, the average interglacial period we're we're at the the max right now, thirteen thousand five hundred years. We're right right at the end of it. But because yeah. we had a younger Dryas, because we had a younger Dryas period, which was the planet came out of an ice age and then went back into an ice age. Okay, so it went. Yeah. And what usually happens is you come out of an ice age and you just stay there until you go back into an ice age. But there's there's a couple of ice core samples that I studied that there was a re, there was a few younger Dryas periods, and in those ones that had the younger Dryas period. You actually had a longer um, interglacial periods reaching out to fifteen to sixteen thousand years. So you're looking at possibly another two thousand years because we had a younger Dryas period. Uh, okay. So, so you got plenty of time to. Uh, you're still going to incarnate back, you know. Everybody's coming back, you know. Nobody's going. Oh yeah, back. no. I I just you know I. <laughs> I'm hoping to leave a message to myself, go south, go there south. Go. go south. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to, the, the, the tilt will become as the, as the as, um, you know, I, I, I have my own um, theory on the ice age. As, as the water, as we, as we come closer to the water maximum, the, the bigger the drag of the moon is on the ocean, and that's going to exponentially increase the uh, the tilt. It gets yeah. further and further. So we have less and less. The light doesn't come up as far uh, into the uh, higher latitudes. So obviously, at some point, you're going to wake up. It's going to start snowing, and it's going to continue to snow. You know, and that's uh, that's probably a cue for you to uh, go well, south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- I, I would think that would be a big clue, but yeah. but these these yeah. changes um, they take place over long periods of time, so it's not a matter of, oops, it's too late. There's a drift outside my back door. It, it's it's kind right. of, it's it's a generational it's, thing. It's yeah, it's slow. The, the the people that built this planet, the guys that built this planet, they did it with life in mind. They they did it with with uh, the care that it's everything's slow. So every, everything gets to adjust one way or another um, yeah. to, uh, you know, so they, so there's a survival rate, um, you know, so, so uh, you know, all living species have a chance to uh, adapt and um, you know, survive. Yes. You can, so, um, you can outrun slow. a glacier, you know, so that, right. so that, you know, right. you're, 
<laughs> even even those of us with that are slow can outrun a glacier. Yeah, um, there you go. There you go. I so, don't think we're so, gonna worry about it. We're we're still we're still trucking along. We're a couple of thousand more years anyways. But if I'm we didn't have sweating. the interglacial period if we didn't have the interglacial period, I'd be down in the Bahamas having this interview. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Lord knows. Um yeah, no, we're still struggling with temperatures in the 80s and 90s, so I don't think it's going to oh, happen tomorrow. Now, is this the yeah. fr- this is this um, is this conference the first big one that you've you've spoken at? Uh yes, yes. This is my uh, this this um, I spoke at the first one a few years back. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. That was the uh, that was the first international and scientific global pyramid conference, global pyramid conference, and. Uh, that was a great. That was a great uh, conference. Uh, beautiful people coming from all all around, all around the planet, everywhere, every every continent, you know, and uh, just about every continent. And then, um, yeah, we had you had scientists there. You had uh, great speakers. It was a beautiful venue. Um, yeah, so this would be my second time speaking at this uh, at this conference. I've I've spoken at a few other ones. Mostly I do um, uh, radio interviews. I was on Russian TV. I, I debuted on, it's like their version of the History Channel, of 350 million uh, viewers. So uh, that was that was pretty good. I, they came right into my house and they uh, filmed me and I, I went through my, uh, you know, my, uh, my pyramid. Um, this is before my moon book. So I went through my pyramid theory. They were, they actually were pretty, uh, Pretty interesting in what I was uh, working on. I was, I was absolutely uh, well. Was I have gift, to, you know? I have to yeah. admit, um, <clears throat> for those who are interested, your, your books are Pyramid, Gravity, Force, and Is There Something About the Moon? Both of them are mm-hmm. fascinating and and well worth yeah. to read. And they're not 500 pages, so they're they're the kind of read you can get yeah. through without without having to do a marathon. And the conference yeah. is the Global yeah. Pyramid Conference. The Healing Power of Pyramids, and it's September 20th to 23rd in Skokie, Illinois. Uh, the website is globalpyramidconference.com, and um, I highly encourage people to check it out because there is so much going on here that that it is it's an exciting time, and um, it, it's it's. It's it's actually a time when you want to get yourself more familiar with with the science and and everything that that is behind. Science is finally admitting that they don't know what's going on, which is a very exciting thing, and Thank it means that, that it opens it opens the doors to other modalities to come in, and 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 everybody brings a piece of the puzzle. It's not that any one person has the answer. It's it's the astrom- astro- astrologers and the astronomers, ast- astrology and astro. It's the guys that fill with the stars, and 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 it's it's the scientists and it's the archaeologists and it's 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 all of these different modalities coming into one place. Every brings everybody brings a piece of the puzzle. And sooner or later, we'll get so many pieces together that we'll begin to get an understanding of of what we were meant to understand, but just haven't reached that place where we could grasp it yet. 
And, you know, we have Marta to thank for putting all of these people together. And, and I, I am in awe of the, of the quality of people that are going to be speaking at this conference. It really is amazing. And, and you should get some sort of a, an award, Marta, for all the work that you've done. Yes, she's, yes. Well, thank you both. I just also wanted to add that during our award dinner on Saturday night, we are going to reveal for the first time anywhere a pyramid that was found in the late 80s by three men. And they felt this pyramid was so, so important that they decided to keep it a secret and made a pact not to tell anyone. And they kept this pack all the way through to the, all three of them had died and taken it, the information to the grave. They said there's still one person that has the information, and he's going to come out during the award uh, dinner on Saturday night and tell you about this pyramid, its location, and the similarity to another major pyramid in someplace else. So this is the uh, first time this is going to be heard anywhere. So you can be there from Rogue. Ah, or, or, or Marcia or March yeah. will come on the show again after the conference and, and tell us all the secrets. I hear there's laughter and chuckling. Uh, <clears throat> arranging... <laughs> Arranging a conference like this, gathering this many experts um, together in one place, is is accomplishment that mm-hmm. only people who have tried to do it will appreciate. And and yeah, um, it's, I, it, it's amazing. It takes about fourteen months of my life, literally five days a week at the beginning, and it goes on to six or more days a week. To get this done, uh, a whole bunch of volunteers behind the scene as well. So this is a, a this is a, a love, love, love uh, across the board. Well, we will and be it, doing this. And it's all not together. just everybody's together, just, the team. It's not just all of these speakers either. It's it's vendors. You have vendors that are going to be there as well. We also have a very unique group of international vendors coming from England, Thailand, Canada, Switzerland, uh, of course, United States, that had never been put together on the one roof. So, so the so even if you, vendors are even just if, as interested as the speakers. And, and even if you're not interested in pyramids, it's a great place to shop. So it's And it's, it's open to the general public throughout the conference. Okay. They can come and, and look and shop and try out all kinds of sessions. And most of them are of no charge. That sounds fabulous. Well, nice. Blog, Talk, Blog Talk is going to shut me off here just in a few seconds. So I want to thank both of you for being here. I so appreciate your time and your energy and your information <laughs> and your blood, sweat, and tears. And uh, we'll have to do this again after the conference when, when we can get more into yeah. something about the moon and all of the, all of the, <laughs> all of the stuff that, that you won't tell me now. So okay. thank you both again. 
Give and it all good away. night now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara, for having us. Thanks, uh, thanks for having okay. us. Really, that was great. Great interview. <laughs> good night, Thank everybody. You. Outstanding. Okay, guys, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your listening. Um, This will be available on YouTube, on my website, all over the place in about five or ten minutes. Thanks again. Bye-bye.